I hate standing ovations. The only thing I hate worse is not getting one. <laughs> but I thank you for it. Oh, actually, we're clapping for the Lord. Amen. Uh, the Bible says if we don't clap our hands, the trees will. So we praise the Lord today for a great message and song. And I have come by the way of the cross. Where would I be without the Lord? Have so much to be thankful for. I was sitting there in the chair thinking I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning. I'm so thankful for my wonderful family. My siblings are all Christians, my uncles and aunts, my cousins, my kids, grandkids. It's been a blessing to be in a family like that. I don't know what it means to pray for a lost loved one. You think of that. And I'm talking about 100 plus people, my uncles and aunts. And, and it's just amazing. And so I've been really blessed. And I'm thankful for uh, Harold this morning and Bryce and uh, for the musicians and the deacons and for you. Uh, but most of all, that cross and Jesus Christ and what he did for me. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5 today. Matthew chapter 5. I, I heard about the Hare Krishna people. They're the people who believe in reincarnation and they seek donations. And really out west, they were big at one time, sought a lot of donations. One time they came to my house and asked for donation. And I said, I gave in a previous life. And, that's a bad joke, but uh, yeah. there are results in, uh, in not confronting and dealing with people and forgiving people. About a year ago, I spoke here from 2 Corinthians 5.21 and talked about how we each have a ministry of reconciliation. I think I referenced that verse maybe a month or two ago as well. And sometimes we don't realize how important it is to confront people and to deal with relationship breakdowns. And I've, I've said this before as well, and I don't know if I said it here, but you're either a peacemaker or a troublemaker in your world. You can either take two troubled neighbors who don't get along and try and bring them together. You can go to work and, and help people reconcile. You can be a blessing to people or you can just be a troublemaker and go along with all that stuff and divide people. And, and, and we, we are called to be peacemakers. It's what Scripture says. And we'll look at that in a moment. But I think of the, the results of not confronting people, the results of not dealing with relationship problems. Obviously, you don't have the forgiveness, forgiveness of God. You can't be forgiven of God if, if you have a broken relationship and don't do your best to reconcile. Second of all, further deterioration of the relationship. I mean, it just gets worse and worse. Third, and we're going to look at some details today, the loss of joy. And then bitterness, uh, and we preached on that back in Corinthians. And then, but finally, the one I want to mention that people are not aware of is the, the loss of usefulness. God will not use and cannot use because he's God. He cannot use someone who is in a relationship that's broken and doesn't do their best to reconcile. And he cannot use a bitter person. It's been said that shelves are full of bitter people that God cannot use. You talk about a Bible being dusty and not used. There's a lot of Christian people God will not use because they refuse to deal with broken relationships. So we're going to talk about that. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. 
Matthew chapter 5. When you find that, we'll read that. Stand with me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verse 1, verse 2, and then verse 9. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And he was set. His disciples came to him. When he was set, his disciples came. Now he sits down. And the disciples come. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and you know the Beatitudes. You, you, you know them. Maybe you've memorized them. But in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is the only one where it gives this promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called what? The children of God. You want people to recognize you're a Christian? Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. And I've said this before. We'll read this verse one more time. The biggest person in a broken relationship is the one that says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's the big Christian. The one who says, you owe me an apology, is the small Christian. The big Christian seeks their wrong and deals with it. And we are all wrong at some point in time, aren't we? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. God bless us. We need you this hour as we look into your holy word, inspired and fallible and inerrant, and God just glean some handfuls on purpose uh, uh, that you've left us to, to, to just learn and to grow and to make application. And God, if we leave here tonight and we do not leave realizing the importance of reconciliation, we're not being doers of the word, we're just hearers of the word. And if we really want to take the Lord's Supper tonight, we have to deal with these relationships, Lord. And while I don't know people here in conflict, I think we have real unity and harmony here. I don't know the hearts of people, and I don't know what's going on in their worlds. You do, God, and I just pray that you speak to hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Matthew, of course, is the writer of this gospel. He was one of the followers of Jesus. And when you look at his material, 42% of it is unique. In other words, he's the only one that writes about that stuff, 42%. John, 90-something percent, 92% of his material is unique. And all the Gospels have a greatness about them. Of course, they're all God's Word. And we call this one of the synoptic Gospels because Matthew, Mark, and Luke see things together. And we know that Luke and, and, and John, Mark, and Luke did not, were not followers of the Lord during the time, the three and a half years. They were later followers of the Lord, but they wrote books. And each gospel, Matthew we call the complete gospel, the most thorough. Mark is the chronological gospel. It's all in order. Luke is the historically accurate gospel. I mean, they're all accurate, but I mean, Luke just gives us so much history. There was one agnostic atheist unbeliever who set out, went to Israel to prove Luke's gospel was wrong on several key historical events. And when he went there, he realized he was wrong and became a Christian. John is the most unique gospel. That material is not repeated. Only 8% of it is repeated. And so we have Matthew. His name means gift of Jehovah, formerly called Levi. He wrote this gospel um, because he was a follower. Remember, he was a publican, a tax collector. The least popular people in the kingdom of God in that day were tax collectors. The publicans, they were hated. And uh, yet when he got saved, he was willing to give back to the Lord. Anything, 
anything he had taken. And he held a, held a banquet and invited his friends to be saved. So what a great speaker Matthew is. And we, we, we learn so much from Matthew. Here's a great saying. Everyone should keep a cemetery to bury other people's faults. You know, you can find fault with everybody. You ever meet someone and all they do is find fault, find fault, find fault. You work with them, they find fault with everything at work. You get so tired of it. Let me tell you something. You'll find plenty of fault with me if you know me. Some of you know me and know my faults. They are many. And we find fault with, with others. And oftentimes that's a cover for our own faults. The Bible says sometimes we'll strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. That's, that's what we do when we are in that mode of picking apart things. You could pick apart this church. Why? You could pick apart the people in this church. You can go to work and you can pick apart everybody at work. You can find fault. Why? Because we're all broken people. And the truth is we do have faults, right? How many of you do not have any faults? Could you slip your hand up? Obviously no one's that dumb, right? We have faults, we have problems, we have sin in our life, we sin every day. That's why we have to confess, confess, confess. On the way to church, the Lord said, you need to confess that. Something I laid in bed and thought about during the middle of the night. I said, Lord, you're right. I agree with you, that was sin. And immediately I'm cleansed. And so we, we realize that we fall short, but we need to bury other people's faults. To err is human. To forgive is divine. We all err, but if we want to be like God, we forgive. We know a divided house can't stand. We know we're all called to, to a ministry of reconciliation. I heard about a quartet that went in four different directions. Get it? Quartet, four different directions. I mean, I've heard churches split over things that I was shocked a church would split over something so minor. People will get mad and huff and leave a church and you think, why did they leave? And you find out and you think, that's why they left? Yeah. Why? Because we don't understand and, and realize the importance of reconciliation. How many times we hear of families that get mad at a church and get in a huff and leave? Go to the next church they've never reconciled. Sometimes we find out they go into church after church and stir up a church and leave. We know people who get divorced as often as some others change clothes, they change partners. Can't get along. You know, and, and we realize it's a problem because reconciliation is, is something we lose. In, in our world, we see it in leadership, we see it in churches, we see it in homes, we see it at work. But Christians are called to a better life. Look at Matthew chapter 5. First of all, we need to realize the importance of reconciliation. And if you can leave here understanding that, and some of you say, well, I've tried to reconcile and it doesn't work, but, but keep trying. Because, you know, God can work on hearts and the Holy Spirit can help. But in Matthew chapter 5, Chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. You're already in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. First of all, we need to realize the importance of it. Look at Matthew 5 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, 
And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way first. Be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Did you know when you come to church, you can't possibly worship God if you have someone that has aught against you and you haven't tried to reach out in reconciliation. You can't worship God when your relationships are not reconciled. That's how important it is. Don't even give your offering until you've reconciled with a person who has aught against thee. You say, but I didn't do anything. He's overreacting to something minor. Remember what I said in the beginning? The big person will go to that person and say, I'm sorry I hurt you. Even if it's simply the fact that you sneezed on their lunch. you still go and say, I'm sorry, I've hurt you. Because not everyone is the same. We are all developing at different paces. My father-in-law, who was a preacher for many years after his son was electrocuted and killed, became a preacher. He said, the moment I became a Christian, alcohol was no longer part of my life. He was an alcoholic. He said, it was gone. But yet, how many people do I know that become a Christian and struggle with alcohol for years? Right? We're all different. Some people get their feelings hurt over something that another person would never get their feelings hurt over. And we're all different. We're all different. We're reared different in families. We're from different parts maybe of the area. We have different types of families. So while one person isn't hurt by your behavior, another is. And then the bigger person goes and pursues reconciliation. You say, they didn't grow up. I didn't do anything. What did I say in the beginning? The big person says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Before we can possibly worship, we have to understand the importance of reconciliation. Second of all, Matthew 18. Raise the initiative. We recognize the importance. We raise the initiative. Actually, in 18, 15 to 17, look what it says here. Moreover, moreover, <clears throat> moreover, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. Matthew 18, 15. If he shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. One-on-one. -on -one. How many times do we have a conflict with someone and we go around and we tell everybody about the conflict. That's not what we're supposed to do. Oh, I just want you to pray for him, but he's a dirty rat. He's a rat, you know. No, that's not what we do. We, we have to understand the importance of going to someone one-on-one. -on -one. Not going on the phone, you know, tell them, calling up a friend, phoning a friend, and not, not going to a neighbor about it. No, you go to that person. And it says, when you go to that person, you'll gain that person. They'll respect that. You know, they'll respect it. Why? God will touch the situation. Sometimes we avoid people. We play passive-aggressive passive game. That's a term of psychology. What's passive-aggressiveness, Pastor? You know how when you're mad at someone, you've been on either side of this, you're mad at someone, so instead of going up and confronting them and telling them how you've been hurt by them, you walk by them and you just kind of let them know 
and maybe want to shake your hand and you don't shake. You don't say anything, you're just passive aggressive. Or they walk by, you just let them know that you're disgusted by them. And that's hypocritical. That's called passive aggressiveness. And that's a violation of scripture because you're supposed to go to them and say, hey, and we've all been on the receiving end of passive aggressive behavior, haven't we? Years ago, I had a college professor. I would say hi to him. And he just, and I thought, this guy's a Bible professor. What is good? Finally, I said, hey, what's wrong? He said, well, you said something to someone, and, you know, and I said, I, I apologize. I, I didn't even know you were involved in that situation, and I, I'm sorry. Will you? Yeah, I forgive you. How you doing, man? Let's do lunch. And I thought, well, I'm glad I confronted him, but this passive-aggressive behavior is not acceptable. It's not acceptable between two-year-olds, and guess what? It's not acceptable between adults. Now, if our two-year-olds do it, we'll spank them for it. You know, hug your sister. They don't want to say, I'm, I'm envious of my sister. So, and then we do it as adults. And we use this passive-aggressive as a tool, and it doesn't help relationship. Sometimes people don't even know why you're mad at them. You ever have something like that in your life? You think, that person doesn't like me, I can tell. You don't know what you've done, but they don't like you. They've let you know, and then you go through life thinking, I wonder what I did. Well, it's best to go to them. That's hard to do. They're sinning by playing the passive-aggressive game. But you're sinning if you don't finally confront them and say, hey, what's going on? So we raise the initiative. Let's read on, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two or more of them with the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear thee, tell it to the church. So there's a pattern here. Here's a responsibility. Now, this is confined to church. Number one, you go to a person you have a problem with and you reconcile, and you'll gain a friend and a brother if they're willing to work with you. If not, you'll have to get some witnesses and say, can you come with me? I've got a problem with this brother, and he will not, he will not work with me. And finally, it has to be brought before the church. I mean, that's sad when that happens, but if people can't get along and can't reconcile, you need to involve others. And there's three steps, one-on-one, with witnesses in the church, and I'm not going to get into church discipline today. We don't have time. But the fact is, is we need to raise the initiative. Raise the initiative. And we look at uh, verse uh, 18, and it says, Verily I say to you, what's, uh, excuse me, I, want to, I want to back up. Well, I won't be able to back up because I'm in the wrong chapter. But anyway, look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're talking about raising the initiative in Colossians chapter 3. Well, I was going to say verse 21 in chapter 8. I was in the right chapter. Let me read you this verse, but still go to Colossians. In Matthew 18, 21, then came Peter into him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him seven times? The rabbi said three. Peter said seven. And what did Jesus say? You just keep forgiving. and for, You're the ever-ready battery. You just keep forgiving and forgiving, and forgiving, and forgiving. You say, but this person, I'm giving them three strikes and they're out. Well, you're out of fellowship with God if you have that attitude. you got to forgive. You know how often my mother forgave me? I think three times. No. You know better than that. My mother forgave me when I was two a thousand times. And when I was a teenager a thousand times. 
I don't know how many times I did stuff that I shouldn't have done at home. And my mom was a type of Christ who always forgave her son. And moms are good like that. But we're all supposed to be like that to all people. So Peter said, how many times? And the Lord said, just keep forgiving. But we're in Colossians now. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13. It says, put on therefore. Now we learned that in verse 10, to put on the new man. You know, every day we need to realize we have two men in ourselves, or two women. There's two Dans. There's old and new Dan. My computer broke on Monday morning, and old Dan wanted to throw it on the ground. It kept doing stuff, and finally it just went poof. You know, I was not happy. I had a lot to do. And I had this computer, and I, I was alone in my office, but I just thought, I wish I had my shotgun. I'd like to shoot that computer. <laughs> Good thing. No, I don't think I'd have done that. But old Dan wanted to destroy the computer. New Dan said, now be rational, old Dan. You need to call somebody to get another computer. And I didn't have that conversation, but that's the thoughts that go on, you know. And uh, so I've got a computer come. It hadn't been here yet. It, it's, it, the guy said, oh, I'll have it by Wednesday and then Friday. And he's a good guy, but the computer hadn't come in. And old Dan's getting impatient. Sometimes when I drive, one time I think in my life I was impatient while driving. <laughs> but we have two natures. He says in verse 10, Colossians 3.10, put on the new man. Got to force yourself, folks. You got to yield to the spirit, not to the flesh. Put on a new man. And then he says here in, in verse 12, he says, put on, put on all these things. And he names several things. He says, put on the bowels of mercy. Are you merciful towards others and their faults? Uh, put on kindness. That Greek word is translated in Galatians 5.22. Gentleness. Are you gentle? Are you kind? Then he says, long-suffering, another part of the fruit of the Spirit, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Then he says, forbearing one another. That means to put up with others. And that word's translated uh, enduring. Do you endure? Do you forbear? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you gentle with people? And then the word forgiving, our word charitable comes from that. You know what forgiveness is? It's giving. It's releasing someone from what they owe you and giving them what they should be giving you. The Bible warns against loaning money. It says charging high interest is sinful. We know that. I, I don't like the credit card companies. They charge 18%. That's why I don't, uh, that's why I pay mine off the first every month, pay the whole thing. I don't like that interest. But if someone comes to you and borrows money, it puts you in a spot. Because if they can't pay you back, then you realize, oh boy, you know, and if you're glaring at them and you're mad at them because they can't pay you back, you made a mistake in loaning them money. Now, let me say to those of you who've borrowed money, pay back what you've borrowed. Too much bankruptcy and too many people declaring this chapter and that chapter, you know, one day there's going to be an end chapter, the final chapter, and you're going to stand before God and lose rewards for not living right. It's called the Bema Seat. But too many people go through life not paying what they owe. So that having been said, I'm now talking to those that have loaned money. You know what happens when someone can't pay you? A relationship is broken. 
You're uncomfortable. If you see the person, they go the other way. And you realize this is not good. So you know what you have to do? Forgive. It means you have to release them. You even need to go to them and say, hey, I want you to know, I realize you're struggling to pay me. Don't worry about it. So the best thing to do if you're asked to loan someone money is to say this. Let me help you, and if you can pay it back, fine. But consider it in your mind a gift, and that will solve the problems. And they should consider it a loan and pay you back. But we release them. We loose them from obligation. Otherwise, you know, both parties are miserable. And so we need to forgive. That's our word, charitable. And look what, look what this last verse says in Colossians. I love this last verse, and I'm not even there. I need to turn there. But this last verse in this text of Colossians chapter 3, and this is interesting. It says here, and above all things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or perfection, we could say. What is this above all? Well, when they wore their eastern robe, they would put a girdle on the outside of the robe, and that would hold everything together. And that's the idea here, the bond of perfection. I go out quite often in the early morning with my dog, and I go out in my bathrobe. And I have that little, you know, thing, and I tie that good, man. I don't want people to see my boxers, so I tie that thing. It holds my bat. I know you're getting the visual. Too much information, right? But it ties that robe together so no one can see what I have underneath it. My T-shirt or whatever. They're still giggling. But that I thing I tie together as the bond, it completes that, see? That's the idea here. Just like they put something around the robe to hold it together, you need to put something around this teaching here of being merciful and forbearing and being patient and enduring and love. And all this is tied together by what? All these things put on. The third time we're told to put on something is put on love or charity. Are you charitable towards others? We give our charitable contributions, but do we give charity in how we treat other people? Are you charitable? Do you give them grace and mercy? You need to put this on. That whole, that, that brings everything together. If we really love people, we really are merciful. We really forgive. We really work hard to release the offender. Now we look at chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. And we pick up in verse 23. Here we've already mentioned here that we realize the importance, we raise the initiative, now we release the offender. Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 25. And this is a parable. We've taught through all the parables here on Wednesday nights in chronological order, and we know this is a parable. Verse 23. There, Jesus said in verse 22, said, I, you just keep forgiving. Verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of God, uh, kingdom of heaven, likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And what a story we have here. We're not going to read it, but let me tell you the story. This man forgave a man of so much. The man owed him so much money, but he was gracious and forgave him. And the man who was forgiven went out to someone who owed him money and ended up putting him in jail because he didn't pay him. 
And of course, the man who forgave him so much would be unhappy with that, right? And the teaching is really to point out God's unhappiness with us when we don't forgive others. That's the practical application, right? It's amazing how we want so much grace and forgiveness in our lives when we mess up. And yet we don't share that same grace and mercy to other people. It's a violation of Scripture. You can't possibly worship God and be right with God when you can't be gracious and merciful towards people who have offended you, wronged you, stolen from you. You have to be gracious. I remember my dad taught me something good about grace and mercy. Years ago, I was at the mall. I rode my bike to the mall. And I was 15, because when I was 16, I started to drive. And that's a smart change there. The 10-speed to the car, you know? And I had my little GTO. I paid 150 bucks for it. and had a blue fender and a white door and a red fender. It was just an old, and I was working on it, you know? And I, I remember riding my bike before that. I get back to the bicycle. I'm jumping ahead to the excitement of the GTO. And I rode my bike, and, and someone stole my bike at the mall. I had to walk all the way home. I was mad. I was mad, and I was sad, and... You know, and uh, middle of the night, we get a knock on our door and the police come to, I don't know why they couldn't wait till morning, but about one or two in the morning, the police come to our door, knock on the door. And my dad comes to the door. And my dad comes down and wakes me up. And I come up and the policeman said, we found the person who stole your bike. And here's your bike. And they'd filed the serial numbers, but I had my 10 speed back. It's pretty important to me. And the policeman back in those days, there was a little more transparency and accountability. And he told us who it was. <laughs> I knew the kid, and I knew one of the kids that encouraged him to steal the bike. They didn't know it was my bike. And so I thought, man, that, that dirty, rotten, dirty, rotten louse, you know, stole my bike. And the officer said, you know, about pressing charges, what do you want us to do with this? And my dad, how dare him, said, we're not going to press charges, but we'd like to meet with the boy. And I'm like, what are you doing, Dad. So the boy came and met with us. You know, I was glad to meet him. And he said, I'm sorry, I stole your bike. My dad said, well, I'll tell you what. We're not going to press charges. We don't want anything, but we'd like you to ride to church with us. I don't remember how many months it was. So here we had, we already have seven kids. What's my dad doing? So this boy rides to church with us and trusts the Lord as a Savior. You know, my dad taught me something, didn't he? Release the offender. Release the offender. And, and we, we need to understand, it, 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 it talks here about loosing, loosing the offender, being loose, being released. We need to let people go. If you harbor things in your heart and you don't forgive people, you're holding on to them. Now, we can get bitter and mad at people and not forgive, but, you know, I, I read an interesting article about bitterness. It said three things. Number one, psychologists tell us bitterness harms us emotionally. Did you know that? And did you know doctors tell you that because of the emotional damage of bitterness, it also affects you physically. So bitterness is not good. And the Bible says it affects you spiritually. So get rid of the root of bitterness because that's not going to help you. 
Being bitter towards someone only hurts you. They don't even know, maybe. They don't even understand why you're so upset. And what happens in our lives, we have a continual problem of sin in our life because we don't forgive. Talk about that in a moment. But look at Matthew chapter 6, finally responding properly. Matthew chapter 6, responding properly. And you need to mark your Bible here. God put it on pages so you can mark it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if, mark that little word, if, if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Mark that little word, if. Then in the next verse, but if ye forgive not, Mark that little phrase. If you forgive not, what? If you don't forgive them, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, they're paid for on Calvary. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. Once you've been saved, you're saved. But forgiveness always has to do with fellowship. And when you do things and you haven't confessed them, God doesn't forgive you, and you can't have fellowship with God. You can't pray. Some of you try to pray and you got sin in your life, you wonder why God didn't hear your prayer. He's not going to hear your prayer until your hypocrisy is, is exposed and dealt with. And you know it's in there. Deal with it. Be honest. And God will bless you for your integrity and your honesty. But you have to deal with that stuff. And if you don't, your fellowship with God is broken. He doesn't hear your prayer. He doesn't bless your emotions. Doesn't bless your life. I hope today that if there's anyone listening, that you'll go out here today and be obedient to the word and make a phone call. Drive to someone's house. Write a letter and restore a relationship. But notice here. Responding properly. What do you mean respond properly? Forgive people. Or you're not forgiven. I like Romans 12. It says, avenge not yourself. It goes on to say, overcome evil with good. What are we supposed to do if we have an enemy? Love them. Love them. If you've got a neighbor that can't stand you, bring them a fruit basket. Not a rotten fruit basket, but a fruit basket. That's how, we, that's how we win people. My dad was a salesman, and he had a little book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. In the book, Secular, I believe. I believe the man may have been a Christian, but years ago, I read that book and thought, wow, that's really good. But it's all biblical principles. It's about just, you know, reaching out and, and helping people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Not rendering evil for evil. But counterwise, blessing. So instead of giving evil back to someone, you give them a blessing. Then Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, if you do not deal with these things in your life, you're out of fellowship. And it's only going to hurt you. I think I shared this with you a long time ago, but... This is an interesting story. Natives understand how to deal with wolves. If a wolf's in the area and they're worried for their children, they'll get a knife. And I've got the story here. If you want to read it or see it, I can make copies of it. First, he takes the hunting knife and hones the blade until it's razor sharp. Then he coats the knife with animal blood 
and allows the blood to freeze on the knife. He, he does this several times, layer after layer, until the knife, the knife blade is coated with frozen blood. Then he takes the knife to the place where the wolves have been spotted or where their droppings have been seen. He buries the knife hand, hand on the ground so the blood is sticking up and he leaves it there and, and that's all he has to do. You see, a wolf will smell the blood on the knife and follow his sensitive nose to the source of the scent. Upon finding a knife, the wolf will carefully lick the bloody ice. As he does so, the frozen blood will arouse his hunger. And it'll begin to lick faster and faster until the ice is licked away. But the sharp blade is exposed. Because of his ravenous hunger, the wolf doesn't notice that the blade begins to shred his own tongue. And as he's licking the blood, he becomes... Uh, it comes to the point where he's licking his own blood. He continues to lap up the blood from his own tongue, and the loss of blood weakens him, and he slumps to the ground and dies. Isn't that interesting? And some of you who have not reconciled and admitted your guilt and your fault are just like the wolf. Your bitterness, your lack of forgiveness is hurting you. It's not hurting the people who have offended you. Let God deal with them. The Bible says, vengeance is God's. You do right by God's word. I'll close with this statement. No revenge is ever as sweet as forgiveness. No revenge is ever as sweet as forgiveness. Let me say this to you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, he went to the cross to pay for your sin. That's where forgiveness begins. When you put your life in the hands of the Lord and say, I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for me and I need him to forgive me of my sins and be my savior. When you do that, it all begins. Until then, you have a broken relationship with God. The Bible says you're at war with God. The Bible says you're an enemy of God. If you don't know Jesus, it all begins there. Be saved today. And for those of you that are believers, reach out. Do the right thing. Remember the big person, the big Christian, the strong Christian says, I'm sorry. I'm the problem. Will you forgive me? The small person says, I'm not saying that. They owe me an apology. That's called pride. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. During this week of thankfulness, we learn, Lord. We learn how to raise the initiative and realize the importance of reconciliation and to reach out, and Lord, and to respond to your word the way we're supposed to respond. And I pray today, if there's anyone here who's not been, become a Christian today, they'll turn their life over to Jesus Christ, your son. And if there's others today that need to forgive, and maybe there's people here that have been really hurt bad, Lord, and I understand that, and you understand that. But forgiveness is going to help them so much. We know that because you've promised that. Bless now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.